today. Please go ahead and find a seat. We've got some really special things happening today. We want to welcome all of you that are here in person and all of you that are here on the live stream. You might see a lot of kids handing out candy canes today. We are ready. We have some special worship leaders today, and I'm going to just invite them to come up here. You might have already seen them. They're going to grab their candle and be ready to go. But we're just so glad that you're here. Um, once everybody's seated, we have a really special video that we want to show you that some of our kids have made. And so if you are ready to worship, I think we are too. So I'll just make sure all the kids are up here. Come on up. All right. So my uh, picture is about uh, like where, well, when I, well, when the angel comes to tell Mary that um, she's gonna have a baby, like a baby boy, and she, her, like her face is like a little happy because like, um, cause she's like joyful that she's gonna have a baby boy. Um, so my picture's about um, Mary and Elizabeth together, and Mary came to visit Elizabeth, and um, they're holding hands, and Elizabeth said to Mary, when, you, when I heard your voice, my baby started to kick and jump, and, um, and Mary had a prophetic song, and one of the parts that she said, um, she said, now people will come, from now on, people will call me blessed. Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, riding on a donkey. So my drawing is of the um, shepherds out in the field, and then the angel talks to them about um, about how uh, Jesus is being born and what basically the star is and so in my picture I have the shepherds, the angel, a few sheep and a camel and yeah. Well I drew a picture of the wise men going to see Jesus and give them their presents. My and this is Herod. Um, he um, after the wise men came. And so this is the wise man traveling to see Jesus. This is the star in the sky. And, and those are the buttons that they have in their hand. And that's the arrow pointing to the sky. And, and that's the light. That's baby Jesus. That's Joseph. That's Mary. And that's the star. And that's the sky. And, and this is when they had the dream that angel told them not to return back to King Herod and 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 Jesse Dale. And my my mom think it was funny of uh, because the wise men were sharing a bed in the back. I did my best to draw the crown and, and those are the gods sad 
I'm in Mad, and, and that's the house.
shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he's pleased. Stop. 
We just welcome the Holy Spirit here tonight. We just offer our praises to the King of Kings. Yes, Lord, however that looks like for us tonight, we just want to be obedient to the guidance of your spirit and give you all of the honor and glory this evening.
rejoicing in the glory of God. This is Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In other places, it describes the trees clapping their hands, rejoicing that the King of Glory is on the throne. And that King of Glory came to be born as a little boy in a feeding trough in a town called Bethlehem. That's crazy news. And let's just declare the joy that comes with this good news. Let heaven and nature sing. 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 Let heaven and nature sing.
We're going to continue to lift up thanks and praise. We have a we have a special choir song today that we want to just sing scripture with Revelation 19. We're going to sing it through and we just ask that you would just open your hearts that this would not be a performance of any kind but rather this is an offering unto the Lord and we would just like to give him glory today and we would also like to invite you to sing along with us we'll teach part of it to you in the middle but if you already know it please sing along and let's just offer this fun straight from scripture song to Jesus would you read Revelation 19 1 for us Bench This is right after the great kingdom of darkness has been destroyed. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1, it says, After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. So we'll just sing those words.
Just keep your hearts right here. Like we're either a people of faith or we're not. And the word of God says with boldness approach the throne of grace that you might receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. And what we are singing are songs from the very throne of God. Revelation 19, it is our revelation to this realm of glory where angels and saints are worshiping the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. And I just, I, we, we just have to stay here. I just, I, we just can't quite move. Like this is how we ascend the hill of the Lord. This is how we enter before the throne of grace. And so let's just, I don't know if the choir could, if you could just, if we could just put this on our lips, like in, we're just ascending, that we would ascend the hill of the Lord, that, that Holy Spirit, this spirit of praise that's upon us, we just recognize, God, that there is an earthly reality and there is a heavenly reality and they are together right now. Salvation and glory. He is wonderful, church. Just Let's just pour ourselves out.
salvation and glory and power to the Lord our God. Just let the voices rise. God is mighty, and the Lord our God is omnipotent. The Lord our God, He is wonderful. Hallelujah, salvation and glory, honor and power to the Lord our God. The Lord our God is mighty. Yes, the Lord our God is omnipotent. The Lord our God, He is wonderful. Now praise, praise takes us into the presence of the Lord. But worship is what we do once we get there. And I just, the Lord is here in this place. And I, I just, I want us all to just look to Jesus. That might sound super spiritual, but it's really just closing your eyes and, and to just orient yourself to Jesus. And let's just look to him and say, you are wonderful. You are wonderful. He is wonderful. So let it be your own, your own words. You're wonderful, Lord. You are wonderful. 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 Taking us a little freestyle right now, but I just I just have this sense, this conviction that we should just rest here for a little while and just let our hearts worship the risen King who's here. Jesus, we love you. I'm not a worship leader, church. If I can sing, so can you. This is the priesthood of all believers. 
just making room for him. We open our hearts, Lord.
just just keep singing this. We're singing our desire, Lord. As the deer pants for the water, so our souls thirst for you. Exalted King. Open our hearts to you tonight. We make room for the King of glory to have his way. Lord, we enter your courts with praise. And we come before your throne and we pour out the worship of our hearts. We just pour out worship. We pour out worship. Pour out worship because you're worthy, Jesus. Just, just lift up your own song. If you don't know what to sing, just put the name of Jesus on your lips. Let's just let a chorus, a chorus of worship just pour forth from the lips of the redeemed. We bring an offering tonight. We bring an offering tonight, Lord. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, thank you for reminding our hearts, Holy Spirit, that it's all about Jesus, that the reason we gather here is for Jesus, it's to worship Jesus, 
that the purpose of our lives is to bring glory to the name of Jesus. And we glorify you here in your house, God. Everything in your temple cries glory tonight, Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. You know, in times like this, we're reminded the presence of the Lord when He's in the sanctuary and we come into proximity. It's, it compels us to give. We just know when we come into the presence of King Jesus, it's like the, the wise men of old. They came and they were compelled to give something to Him. And all Jesus asks of us is that we give Him ourselves. And we're going we're gonna to close this time. We actually have baby dedications, um, which is a holy moment of consecration uh, where we're going to celebrate families that are choosing to effectively give perhaps what is most precious to any mother or father to the Lord as a holy act of worship. And so I'm going to invite all the parents that are, that are dedicating their children night to come forward. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. Um, because this is not just a moment for the parents that are dedicating children. This is a moment congregationally for every parent, for every uh, son or daughter to remember that we have all been given to the Lord. And, and every parent to remember and even afresh today uh, that our worship looks like giving everything, even that which is most precious and valuable to Jesus. And so we're gonna uh, we're gonna have a moment of uh, of prayer and consecration, and I'm gonna have all the parents. You can kind of just line up around here. And first, I'm gonna have you all face me. This is a heaven on earth moment, church. This is not just a ritual uh, or something that we're doing here, but this is something that we believe that the Spirit of God comes and consecrates us. And so in a very real sense, in a reverent sense, God is here to receive the offering of these precious little ones. And so we get to honor together a reverent holy moment where heaven is leaning in. And I just want to affirm each one of you moms and dads and just honor you for your act of worship that you're making tonight and giving and presenting that which is most precious and near and dear to your heart, giving it to Jesus and saying, ultimately, this is not our child, this is your child. And I think that perhaps one of the greatest privileges that God has given humanity is the ability, the ability to create little precious humans that he says are actually my children, that, that are his. And in a very real sense, what you're all acknowledging is that these precious little ones that you are holding belong to him first before they belong to you and that you've been given the holy uh, calling to be stewards of these little image bearers of the creator God. And so I just wanna exhort each one of you that what you're doing tonight is not a one-time decision, but this is something that you're posturing your heart 
that over the years and the months and even the decades that follow, that you would perhaps remember the grace that was imparted to you this night to actually continue to put these little ones upon the altar and know that you're not parenting them alone, but that you're parenting them in partnership with the King of Heaven, the Holy Spirit, Father God, the Holy Trinity. And so I just wanna bless you each one and just tell you I'm proud of you. We are thankful for you. We're gonna have people surround you in a moment. We're gonna anoint your little ones with oil. Um, but before I do that, I am gonna just, I'm gonna name you all. And then I'm, when I call your name, I'm gonna have you turn around um, and kind of present your little ones to the congregation because um, I'm sure that depending on the age of the babies, I remember it took about two weeks to get home and I realized I need a village more than I've ever need, needed in my whole life. And um, I just want you uh, to turn around. Actually, you can turn around right now and face the congregation. I mean, I just want the congregation, I want you to all smile with your most pearly white big smiles that says, we are here with you, around you. And we are cultivating an environment of worship in this house for these little ones to come up in the house of the Lord. And if you are just as, a, as, a, as an act of solidarity that says to these moms and dads that we are with you and we're gonna worship with you and we're gonna watch over these little ones alongside you, I want you to just extend your hands towards moms and dads and these little ones as an act that says you are not alone but that you are surrounded not just by God in heaven, but by the community of believers, the church, and that we're gonna do this thing together, amen? Just look at these faces and take comfort, moms and dads. Uh, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna name you all, and then you can lift your little ones um, before the congregation, and we can just, uh, we can celebrate each um, individual name. Um, um, and we're gonna do it at the end, but I'm gonna read all the names and I want to celebrate because we are receiving and recognizing an image bearer of God most high into our community. So um, uh, you can lift them up and then hold the applause till the very end and then we're gonna go crazy, okay? Um, so uh, Oakley, Noah Horn with mom and dad, which is McKenna and Kyle Horn. All right, just let the applause go, it's fine. Um, next is Cameron May Lucky and Dakota, and Dakota James Lucky with mom and dad are Jeff and Taylor. Um, next is Samuel Adam Young with mom and dad Adam and Anna Jo Young. Ross Cole Rinslow with mom and dad Austin and Amelia Rinslow. Val Valeria Rain Guerrero, which mom and dad Nancy and Ben Guerrero. <laughs> And last but not least, Charlie Jean Welfring with mom and dad Bree and Tori. Um, so I'm going to invite, I know we have a prayer team, and we're going to invite uh, my prayer team if you could come around. And what we're going to do is we're going to anoint each baby, we're going to anoint each mom and dad, and, and we're going to pray 
um, that in this moment that heaven will come and that there'll be an impartation of grace, grace to each one of you moms and dads and grace upon each one of these babies and that the Lord takes these moments seriously. You know, the fate of Israel was transformed because a Jewish woman named Hannah decided to dedicate her child Samuel to the Lord. And so I just um, want everyone in the congregation to actually reach out your hands and to just pray for the consecrating grace, for the sanctifying, the flame of the Lord that would land upon these little ones and that this would be a heaven on earth moment where, where, where something would shift and that God would, would take these, um, the, these offerings as it were and he would, he would consume these offerings and fill them with love and peace and presence and grace and anointing. So Father God, we thank you that this is a heaven on earth moment and I ask for your consecrating presence that Holy Spirit, you will fall upon these families. You will fall and that you will mark these little ones for your purposes in the earth. You will mark them with your presence that your holy anointing oil will fall fresh upon them, God. Lord, that you will release prophetic utterance into their lives, that you will form and fashion their sense of identity. Lord, not by might or by power, but by your spirit, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the promises and the dreams and the purposes that are represented by these little lives. And Lord, as a congregation, we bless them. We say yes and amen to every promise, Lord, that is represented by these lives, God. And we say, let them come to pass. Lord, that these are your image bearers, your sons, your daughters. That's your consecrating grace. Receive these families, God. We speak grace to every mother and father, grace to endure, grace to persevere, grace to run the race. Bless these families, Lord. The mighty name of Jesus. We're gonna have the team continue to pray, but we're gonna, we're gonna close with this song. It's a song of benediction. And I just wanna in, invite all the congregation that we would stand, that we would partner, that we would declare and intercede the words of this song, that the Lord bless you and keep you. You know, some of you moms and dads, I just have this sense that you have your own children. They are prodigal right now. Um, you have you have your own situations, and I just I just would I just want to exhort us all to just pray and to declare blessing not just upon these children but become upon all of our children, and that the grace of God, the blessing of the Lord, would fall upon our families, and that we would recognize that God is at work in our lives, that He cares for our children, He cares for our families. So just wherever you are at, I just want you to sing this this song. We're going to close with this benediction. Yes, if, if you are a family member of any of these, these, these ones up here, feel free to come forward and to lay hands upon your littles and upon uh, sons and daughters and grandchildren. And, and we're just gonna uh, let this song minister as we do so.
Lord, we thank you that you are a God who fights for family, that you are a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. And we speak blessing upon these families forward and every family upon this church. Lord, we present our lives to you yet again and ask that you would consecrate us, that you would fill us with grace and that you would empower us to walk out faithfulness to Jesus all the days of our lives. And all God's people together say yes and amen. Amen. Let's just give a shout and praise to the Lord and praise for all these families. Hallelujah. Wow, wow, wow. Well, if you have not been welcome to church, I just want to formally say welcome to Riverhouse. Let's just give it up for our choir, for the way they served us tonight. If you're new here, I am, uh, my name is Pastor Jordan. I'm the lead pastor in this community and just want to welcome you to Riverhouse. We are a community of worshipers. Um, that have really set ourselves to cultivate a heaven on earth reality and fulfillment of the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done. And really the heart of this vision takes place through um, kind of three things that we talk about around here. I think they have a slide for you. Um, but we talk about a threefold ministry that one, we minister to the Lord, which is what we just did for my goodness, about the last hour and 20 minutes. Um, but we believe that connection takes place when we linger in the presence of the Lord and life is all about connection with Jesus and connection with people. So we have a minister to the Lord. We minister to one another and that the Holy Spirit generously gives us grace where we serve and build up the body. And then he's also called us and given each one of us a ministry to the world where we take this resurrection life of Jesus to the lost and dead places with a proclamation that God wants to bring redemption and make all things new. Amen. So that is what we're about. And uh, we have some video announcements, I believe, with some uh, just practical ways of how you can join us in this vision to see Jesus' uh, kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stay tuned. Welcome to River House. My name is Jace Langley. I'm the Connections Coordinator here, and we're so glad you're joining us. Whether on live stream or in service, we would love to get connected with you. So if you're here in service, please come out to the Connect booth to get more information if you're new. And if you just want to know what's going on at uh, River House, it's a great place to uh, learn about what's going on and connect. Here are your announcements for this week. First, we've got Christmas Eve coming up next week. We're so excited that the holidays are here and it's gonna be normal service time Sunday at 4 p.m. It'll be a shorter service where we just come together, celebrate the good news of the coming Christ and then have some hot chocolate afterwards. So it should be a good time. Be aware that House of Prayer will be closed December 25th to January 3rd. We will resume House of Prayer on the 8th. We'll also have no New Year's Eve service on January 1st, but we will be having Dance and Declare on January 2nd. So mark your calendars. This is an incredible River House party and really the best way to start the new year. If your last name is A through M, please bring a side dish, no chips. And if your last name is N through Z, please bring a dessert. There will be pizza provided. It'll be a great time. 
you don't want to miss it. Lastly, I want to remind you about our annual conference, God is Near. This is going to be on February 9th and 10th here at the Vineyard Boise. General admission is $30. It's going to be $15 for college students. And if you're 18 or under, it's free. We are excited to be hosting Julia and Katya Adams and other Riverhouse voices and leaders will be speaking. And it's going to be a really powerful weekend. I know that for sure. That's it for announcements. I hope you have an incredible uh, Christmas. And if I don't see you, Happy New Year. take the offering together. Father, we offer back to you today what you have already bestowed upon us, praising you for past provision, trusting you for present provision, and believing you for future provision. We ask that in your kindness, you'd break our independent spirits in the areas we often vie for control, our finances, our relationships, our ambitions, and our plans. Liberate us into deeper dependence, O God. In all things, we give ourselves unto you, that you would satisfy us with yourself, our glorious inheritance. Amen. Mobile giving is on the screen and buckets are in the back for cash or check offering. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say hello. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Who is blessed to be in God's house tonight? You know, truly, it's not lip service. We are in God's house. This is a, an outpost of the kingdom where heaven and earth come together when we gather in the name of Jesus and worship him. It's just, a, it's just one of the greatest privileges I can, I can possibly imagine every Sunday we get to gather in his name. Amen. This is a house of miracles. God's house is a house of miracles because we worship and serve a supernatural God that is beyond our ability to comprehend. Isn't that good news? It's good news because I can't comprehend so many things about life, but I don't have to. I love kiddos. Always, always fun. You can't quite comprehend them either. <laughs> Last Sunday, so this is crazy. Um, literally, it's about a week ago, right now, Jackie and I were on our, we were actually leaving the hospital in Southern California. Um, we were ministering at a church uh, in Orange County, and on the way into church, Naomi fell, 
and uh, basically just was inconsolable for about the next six hours. I was preaching, so there was a lot going on. It wasn't really until after church we realized that she had dislocated her right shoulder, couldn't move her shoulder, and anytime it would move, she would just start wailing inconsolably. I'm like Googling it. Of course, we prayed, um, and but she's still just wailing inconsolably. We're like, oh my gosh, it looks like you might have to have surgery for this. The doctor's like, don't touch her. This could be really bad. You can make it worse. So we start texting. We text Mike and Wendy, text a few people, text the church that we were ministering out. I just preached on miracles on the Saturday service. And I'm like, hey, we need a miracle. And so we pull up into this California hospital packed um, waiting room. I drop the girls off. I come in as we're sitting there, just like, you know, she's just not doing well. It's six hours. She's deep into this mess. And then all of a sudden, uh, somebody had just texted us about five minutes before, like, just Jesus, heal Naomi. And, you know, we're believing for it, but also just like distraught new parents, you know, all the older parents were like, yeah, first timers, you know, <laughs> been there, done that 10 times, but it's traumatic, you know, especially for mothers and fathers, but more mothers, but we're sitting there and all of a sudden Naomi uh, just looks at us and she goes, hooray, and she starts clapping, and we're like, what did you just do, and we, I literally just text, I t I, we text the group's back, uh, she just got healed, like it's a miracle, and like literally 30 seconds later, the doctor's like, hey, uh, what, Naomi Werner, and then we're like, uh, uh, we don't need to go in, they're like, what, and we're like, what? We're Christians and we believe in prayer. And I know it sounds crazy, but like she just, she just got healed. It's been six hours. And he was like, so you want to leave? We're like, yeah. And he's like, you can leave. So we just turned around and walked out and said bye. Yeah. So, and then it was cool. It was cool. We then got a testimony later in the day. Jackie posted this little picture of Naomi going hooray and wrote a little story. And then a woman in the church that we were at that Sunday who had uh, some sort of severe problem in her right shoulder and her right neck heard, listened to the Naomi saying hooray, and then she got healed and, and, and messaged uh, Jackie. It's like there's something about testimonies that they just speak, like, do it again, Lord. You know, and then we got a message. I woke up this morning to a message from another person in that church saying they had some sort of, I don't know if it was a, a disease or a virus or something, but it was causing a lot of severe inflammation in the body, causing the skin to break out, and said, it's been over a week and I'm healed. And just giving glory to God that he's a healer. Like, our God is omnipotent. Yes. Salvation and glory. He is alive from the dead. Amen. Uh, you know, I, ju I just, I, I guess what I, I feel prompted to share that, um, just in the sense of I believe that God is a healer, uh, and I just want to, I, I often will sometimes get these words of knowledge, like little bits of information that may mean nothing to me, but they might mean something to someone. I had a sense earlier this afternoon in prayer that there may be someone, I think it's like inside of your armpit is like really, uh, there's like a, I, I have a sense it's really sore and movement causes issues. And I don't know if it's your right or your left. I have a feeling it might be your right, but there's something really sore and painful. Is that anybody? If it, if it is, I'm not trying to embarrass you. It's just because I believe that God does miracles. Is that anybody? I, I don't, okay, I see one hand. Is there any other hands? Yeah, there's another hand. Come on, like this is, this is just simple. Like, but we don't really celebrate the word of knowledge. We believe for healing, right? Um, so if, if that's you just raising your hand, if, is there anybody else? Just because I don't have my contacts on tonight. So I just want to make sure. So just wave your hand at me. I think I see one more hand over there. 
the Lord's helping me supernaturally see right now. Um, and then I, I, I just um, also felt prompted to just that testimony I shared of skin. If there's anybody that there's um, inflammation in your body or you, if you have breakouts in your skin um, and that's something that you struggle with, which is, could you just raise your hand? Um, I, just, I just want us to pray. So if you see a hand next to you, maybe this will make it easier. If you're comfortable, you can stand up or you can just keep your hand raised. And if you're, someone's around you and if, if you're on the prayer team tonight, I just want to make sure everybody just has a laying on of hands. Um, I believe in the laying on of hands, one, because the Bible says that, and two, because there's something about the priesthood of believers. Um, I don't think that God heals because of anointed ministers like, oh, because Jordan has this word of knowledge or these testimonies. I think God heals because God loves us, and he tells us to pray. I have simple faith. I have simple theology around the prayer for healing. Jesus says, pray this way, that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we all know that there's no sickness, there's no inflammation, there's no, um, there's no issues in heaven. And so we're just praying that heaven would come. And when we're in the house of the Lord, which is a house of miracles, we pray for miracles. Amen. That doesn't make us um, charismatic or like super, like there's all these weird titles that people put on it. This just means we believe the Bible, yeah? So if you need healing in anything I call, I just want you to stand up or just raise your hands. And I want you to just, if, if you're okay, um, someone's going to come and just, just, just put hands on shoulders. So yeah, the, this, come on. This is nothing weird. This is like cool. This is just like, you know, Jesus did this in the Bible, you know? Like... You don't have to spit on the mud, I promise. So all you're going to, we'll just pray. Just pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray simple prayers with simple faith because we believe that you are a God of miracles and that you are a God who is still acting in the midst of not just human history, but our human history. So bring healing, we pray right now, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you received prayer, I just want you to look for the healing. Don't look for the, the ailment and just maybe try to do something that you couldn't have done and just, just test it in some way. That's like simple faith in my life. Jesus would say, pick up your palate and walk. So pick up your palate, touch your skin, move your elbow and just test it out. And if there's a breakthrough, you can testify at some point tonight. I don't like to create a public pressure um, I, I don't, uh, around this. So I I just want you to, to test it, and Lord, we just say yes and amen, and we love to have testimonies. So if you have a testimony, we want to hear it before the end of the night or sometime this week. Does that sound okay? Come on. Who is grateful to be here? Yeah, I want you to stand up. We're going to read some scriptures together. We're going to read the book of Acts because we have a God who acts. Amen? All right, this is, uh, we're going to start in chapter 9, and we're going to read kind of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump through a few, couple sections. They have it on the, the screen, so you can follow a, a, along with me. And uh, we need the Holy Spirit to, we just say, sun stand still. Sun stand still, because it's 533, and I haven't even started yet. So, help us, Lord. All right. Acts 9.1, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate or drank. I'm going to skip. God spoke to a disciple named Ananias to go pray for Saul. He went, laid hands on him, scales fall off his eyes. Jumping in verse 17, it says, Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. And now for several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Jumping into Acts 10, we're now going to read about Peter's paradigm shift. A man named Cornelius has a vision. An angel says, go get this guy, Peter. We'll pick up the story there. Verse 9. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop at the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. And while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened and an object like a sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures of the earth and the birds of the air. And a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. That's a nice way of saying no way. No way, Lord. I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken into the sky. Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what this meant. But behold, the men sent by Cornelius came to Simon's house and called out, and they were asking whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. He, Peter goes with them. He then walks into Cornelius' house, and this is kind of the end of this story. And Peter has this revelation. It says, opening his mouth as the, as the Holy Spirit comes to Gentiles, says, I most certainly understand now, say now, that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And that's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. All right. If we can get me a half hour, can I, can I preach for a half hour? For the rest of you that said that was not an honest question, I don't feel comfortable to say no, Pastor. Just leave really quietly when you have to leave. I, I, I'm going to try to condense this, um, but I'm a preacher, and that's hard, so... 
I'm actually just going to try to grip you and mesmerize you that you just, you fall into a trance and you, you can't leave yourself. So I'm joking, I'm joking. All right, so um, we're in this series on Acts. Uh, Pastor AJ, what a word last week, yeah? We kind of shifted. The first like seven chapters of Acts are the beginning of this church, the transference from Jesus' direct leadership to Jesus' direct leadership through the Holy Spirit, through the people of God. He establishes this new temple that has totally new characteristics. And then this new temple starts getting persecuted. And in the persecution, the, the, the church starts spreading. Say spreading. We don't need to be afraid of persecution. God uses it to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to see this all throughout the book of Acts. But AJ started, persecution comes, the church starts getting scattered, and as they scatter, they start multiplying everywhere. And we're now in the part of the text where there's missionary journeys, there's expansion, there is movement. Say movement. Who wants to be a part of a movement? Come on, you and me both. I don't want to just be a churchgoer on this spiritual merry-go-round again and again and again and again. We're not just singing the same songs and listening. Like we, we are coming before the throne of grace, and you cannot behold God and not be transformed by him. It is the most like scary thing you can ever do to come boldly before God and to open your hearts before the living word of God because it will transform you, and it will catalyze you from where you are to a place you didn't know you were going because we are made for movement, church. Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Woo! We're made for an adventure. We're not made to just live domesticated lives where we build our own little kingdoms and our comfort zones. We are longing for an adventure. But here's the deal. Acts 9, Acts 10, right as the church is starting to expand and it's starting to birth out of just the comfort zone of Jerusalem, they're persecuted. But then the two preeminent apostles, the leaders of the church, have to go through paradigm shifts. Say paradigm shifts. Paul to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews, both have to go through paradigm shifts. Put your hand on your head. Say, I have to go through a paradigm shift too. We do. We all do. I believe that every believer will have to go through multiple paradigm shifts if you're walking in faithfulness to Jesus. The first word that Jesus starts his ministry with, anybody? Repent, which means to completely transform the way that you think about life. Right? And so we're, we're seeing two stories of deep repentance in Acts 9 and Acts 10. All right? So I want to set the stage for what repentance is. Um, and, and what we're talking about when we talk about paradigm shift, and then we're going to jump into Paul and Peter and let it actually, I don't know, get into us and maybe catalyze some of our own repentance, yeah? Repentance is not bad news, by the way. It's good news. Peter says, repent that times of refreshing may come to you from the Holy Spirit. Who wants times of refreshing? I believe that part of living the movement of God is a life of repentance. So this doesn't mean you're in trouble. This means you're being fathered. That's such a good word. You guys are not as joyful as I am. So I'm just going to try to disciple you into joy tonight. All right, so a paradigm. When we're talking about a paradigm, say paradigm. Paradigm is the lens through which you see the world. It's like a pair of glasses. You know how they have those different glasses where, you know, what do they call them, like drunk goggles or whatever? Like that's a paradigm, right? You can only, like you start to see as if you're inebriated. And some of you, when you worship pretty long, you, you start to put those glasses on. All right, it's just a charismatic joke. Anyways, 
Paradigm is the lens through which we see the world. Right? Another word for a paradigm is a mental map. Say mental map. I like mental map. It's kind of cool language. And a mental map is essentially, it's the governing uh, like principles and perspectives through which you see and make sense of reality. Right, like, and so this is why different people, like all of us have a mental map. Dallas Willard, anybody heard of Dallas Willard? I think he's one of the greatest authors on the topic of spiritual formation um, that the church has seen, at least in the last hundred years. And he writes, he, he would say often in his messages, he'd say, we are all at the mercy of our mental maps. We've all been formed by life. We've been shaped into a worldview that very much um, determines how we see and make sense of the world. This is why we can all, like five people can be through the exact same experience and they'll, they'll interpret it differently, right? This is why Christians fight so much over the Bible. It's like, well, we're just trying to get what the Bible says. It's like, well, we're all reading the same Bible, but we're reading it through a different mental map, right? And so we're not trying to arm wrestle who has the right mental map. We're all actually trying to come into submission to the only one who has the right mental map, which is who? Jesus. The mind of Christ. So discipleship is the Lord trying to disciple us so that we would think and make sense of the world the same way that Jesus does. Right? We have all types of stories where we see Jesus' mental map clashing with the disciples' mental map. They're in a storm. Everything's going crazy. What are the disciples doing? Mayday. This is bad. We were raised on the Galilee. We know what happens when storms go, ships go over, and people die. That's their mental map. Jesus has a different mental map. He's just snoozing. He's like, I created the cosmos and all the world. Resting, he's got the whole wide world. It's probably what he's singing. In my hand, I got the whole wide. He's humming himself to sleep. Do you see the difference of perspective? No? See, God wants to disciple us that we would have the mental map of Christ. This is why you see people, you're like, how are they so full of joy in the midst of suffering? Because they have the mental map of Jesus. How do they believe for the impossible in the face of such impossible? Because they have the mental map of Jesus. Right? The more we get discipled, we come into repentance to think like Jesus thinks, the more we'll start acting like Jesus acts. Right? A lot of times, um, Christians, we will say things you know, like, well, I believe in the inspired word of God that is completely authoritative. Yes, We'll say we believe that, but here's the deal, is we will confess something that we say we believe, but then it says in the authoritative word of God that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And a lot of Christians don't give. They don't actually believe that. So we can say we believe that the Bible is the inspired authoritative word of God, but if our mental map isn't actually shifted to where we actually act upon it, I would say we probably think we believe that, but we don't really believe it yet. Right, so this is where Jesus is trying to dis disciple us. He's calling us into repentance. Repentance is not just like at the superficial level, but he's trying to get deep down into the governing thoughts and principles and beliefs that are showing up on the everyday regular of how we live our lives. That's what a paradigm shift is, right? There's, there's superficial repentance. Let me give you an example of this. It's real, but it's superficial. It's like, has anybody want to be bold enough to just, I'll, I'll, I'll just say I have done this dozens of times in my life where um, you like somebody does something or says something and you just judge them because you're like that is so like messed up and you're like criticizing them you're probably talking with your wife or telling your friends can you believe so and so did this or said this and you're like gosh that's just like so clearly wrong right and then you like at a later point 
you maybe hear a part of their story or they share something really vulnerably and it completely recolors and you're like, oh, I had you wrong. And then like, if you're really brave, you'll tell them, but usually just go back, you tell your wife like, yeah, no, I was probably wrong. Like, they're not exactly who I thought they were and I had them all in this box, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm talking about? That's repentance, right? You're like, I'm changing the way I think because I've come into new information that's challenging my old information. Yeah? Come on, give me a yeah, that helps me. We gotta we got go quick tonight. We need quick comprehension. Lord, help us get it all. All right, so that's superficial repentance. When we're talking about paradigm shifts, we're not talking about superficial. We're talking about deep, say deep. We're talking about deep repentance. Right, we're talking about like we're getting down into like the sacred cow beliefs that we have, where things that we didn't even realize are in there start coming up. The subconscious things, the things that are so deeply wired that we don't even, we don't even think to think about them because we believe they're so true. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about paradigm shifts. Does that make sense? So paradigm shifts are when God confronts our prejudices, Beliefs hidden on the inside that are so automatic we don't even realize we have them and we don't even realize that they're blinding us to things. So I'm gonna share some stories at the end but we're gonna jump into Paul and Peter. Is that all right? All right, so Paul, we read Acts 9. It's this famous story of repentance. It's actually a story of salvation. This is someone who did not have any connection with Jesus Christ coming into a conversion experience. That's kind of a bad word culturally right now, but conversion is real. It's not something that we force upon someone from the outside. It's actually a miracle of the heart. It's, 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 a, it's speaking to a paradigm shift. And we're reading in the pages that Paul is this black and white Paradigm shift. It is like from black to white. He is what you could very much describe as a hyper-religious, ultra-nationalist, orthodox, pharisaical Jew. Right? He was a vehement persecutor, and we would probably call him today a radicalized terrorist. We would. Like, he's breathing murder against men and women and he's going on like a seven-day journey just so they can get him and put him in prison. This guy is breathing threats. Like, get into the art of that language. Like, what are they telling us about this man? He is so consumed with this self-righteous vindication that he is going to punish these wayward heretics, the women and the children. He, he, he's rejoicing as Stephen is murdered just a few chapters before. Right, so this is like... This isn't just like a, you know, a guy's having a bad day. This is like breathing threats. This is a radicalized terrorist um, culturally. That's what we would say. And he goes in, in three days' time from that to an, a Christian apologist. <laughs> he starts preaching that Jesus is the son of God within three days. This, this is mind-blending. It kind of confronts me that truth's a lot quicker, uh, a lot closer than we realize sometimes. Right, but what we're watching is that Paul had a profound paradigm shift. He was confronted with some new information that was wildly in uh, opposition, not, not entirely, but a lot of it was in opposition, some of it wasn't in opposition, and he had to sit for three days blind, and somehow, paradoxically, as he gets blinded, he starts to see 
for the first time. And he starts to piece together new information in light of the old information. And he has to let go of some things to come into beliefs of new things. And he emerges as someone who's persecuting the way of Jesus to someone who's professing the way of Jesus within three days. This is absolutely insane, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. He goes from a Pharisee to the, the man who carried the revelation of grace. And this wasn't immediate. It took him, he went for years and he had to sit with this. But the shift, the paradigm, the the, the surgery, you could say, the the unearthing of what was deeply embedded inside of him took place um, quite quickly in his story. Right, and I've heard it said before, Graham Cook, he's, he's an interesting thinker that's really provoked me over the years. He, he says this, and I think it's true. He says, there's a recovering Pharisee in each one of us. <laughs> Look to your neighbor and say that. I'm joking. Don't say that. Don't say that. But there is. There, there is a recovering Pharisee inside of all of us. And at the heart of Pharisaical spirituality or Pharisaical religion is self-righteousness. Say self-righteousness. Right, self-righteousness, right? I believe that the flesh, the flesh nature which all of us were born under, this is the sin nature, is bent emphatically towards self-justification and self-righteousness. It's just wired that way. Uh, and, and it will, and, you know, you, you can see it in, you know, I mean, some of you have probably had these conversations, but you know how, like, humans can justify just about anything, like, like you talk to somebody who's living in their own silo and processing things in their own head and you can literally make yourself believe that anything you do is okay. Right? And I, I think that most people, I think there are a few people that are way out there that like know what they're doing is terrible and would confess it and still keep doing it. But that's not the case that you see societally speaking. People are always, when you confront them with heinous behavior, they will tell you the reason why it's okay. Because the flesh nature is just bent towards self-justifying. No, I'm right, I'm right, and this is why I'm right. And what we're trying to do when we're self-justifying is we're actually trying to justify and bring people into the truth, the truth, it's not truth, but it's the truth of the Pharisee that my take on reality is reality. Right, so it's really a war for truth. This is why Jesus says those who continue in the truth, the truth will set you free. And the only place that you'll really find freedom is the truth of God's reality, what he is speaking and what he has authored. Right, but self-righteousness, you're like, you're like making your own reality where you are right because you're at the center of it. That's what pride is. I make the rules, I say what's right, and I will justify it. So everybody's got their justifications, right? There's this recovering Pharisee within broken, sin-filled humanity. You're like, gosh, this is really heavy, Jordan. Yeah, it is. It kind of sucks, right? As humans born under the flesh, under the fall, under Adam and Eve's sin, we have all, without exception, been formed by this self-justifying bent that is cultural. Yeah? Like, is culture selfish? Yes, the world is not forming us into selflessness. It's forming us into selfishness because it says that the prince of the power of the air, where is air? All around us. The God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2, 2, is, is Satan. He's the father of lies. And he's creating, he's, he's lying, he, and his whole thing is to steal, kill, and destroy. And the way he does that, he tries to turn it all on ourselves, make us like him, selfish. We're, we're opening up a huge can of worms right now. But the point I'm trying to make 
is that there is something inside of all of us, like we all are living a mini rendition of this Paul story throughout our Christian story. And, and as we're growing, we're growing out of it because the Lord's sanctifying us. But Paul is just a prototype of the very worst of this. We're seeing that his self-justifying ecosystem is being confronted by a different ecosystem. Right? And, what, and when I say, you know, um, repentance and paradigm shift, I, I want to be sensitive to, to talk about something because I think we're living in this day of like the deconstruction movement. You know what I'm talking about? Like people are like, we need to deconstruct the church. We need to deconstruct authority. We need to deconstruct leadership. We need to deconstruct kind of everything. And it's like, because there's pain and confusion, we just need to deconstruct and like go over here and figure out like a different set of thoughts and beliefs that are like better than those ones, right? But what we recognize when Paul is going through this process is Paul is not his, his, his self-righteous morality, right? He had, he had a reason for why everything he was doing, he was doing, including why he wanted to kill Christians. Like this is how far the mind bent on the flesh can be deformed, this guy is as devout as they come, and yet he had this ecosystem. And Jesus isn't, he's not being confronted and saying, hey, Paul, you need to let go of your ideas so that you can get these ideas. He's actually being confronted. He said, you need to let go of your ideas, and you get me as Lord. And, and the revelation of Paul is that Jesus steps in and says, yes, the one that you're persecuting is me. That's why Paul says, who are you? Jesus in that moment, Paul is forced to recognize that all of his meditation upon God, all his Torah study, everything, the messianic hope, everything that he believed, that he was, his ideas about God did not equate to God. I'm going to say it again. Paul had to recognize that his ideas about God weren't the same thing as God. And all of a sudden, in the face of Jesus, the glory of God is revealed, and he's like, oh, crap. Like, uh, can you imagine the horror? Oh, crap. I was there, and Stephen got killed. Oh, crap. I've said a lot of things. Oh, crap. I've justified all types of things in your name. And that's why Jesus is saying, you're persecuting me. Ah. Self-righteousness will always persecute the way of Jesus. Right? And I believe that the goal of a paradigm shift, right, it's not that we are deconstructing our ideas so that we can get better ideas, though the Lord will give us better ideas. At the heart of it, Jesus is confronting anything that is between us and connection with him. What he's trying to remove is the blinding influence in Paul's life so that Paul can come into relationship with Jesus himself and actually be formed through relationship with Jesus, which is very different than being formed by the ideas or the thoughts or even the messages of Jesus. He's being brought into personal relationship with Jesus and Jesus saying, I am Lord and I'm gonna form you. And for Jesus to be Lord, you have to let go of that bent to justify yourself and recognize I actually don't know what's right. I need salvation. I need a savior. I need help. And this is why Paul, so Paul, what I'm trying to say in all this is that Paul did not become convictionless, right? Because we can almost get that. Well, if, you know, the self-righteous bent is to be convicted and to self-justify, well, then you guys kind of like let go of that and you just become like soup. You just become open to everything. No, that's not, that's not what God's asking us to. 
He's not saying just be open. He's not just saying be, like Paul had conviction. He speaks to the Galatian church and says, if you believe a different gospel than what I've preached to you, you've been bewitched. Whoo, that's conviction. That makes me uncomfortable. Whoo, he felt that, right? It's like that guy had convictions, but what Paul also knew is that he was nothing without Jesus. And he actually became a man who was so submitted that he would not justify himself, but he was completely open to the influence and the ongoing discipleship of the Holy Spirit, so much so that the Holy Spirit's just shaping and forming his mind that he was no longer, like, he was no longer the man that he once was. That's why he described himself as. He goes from his, his, his maturity journey, if you look at the timeline, he says, Paul, an apostle, sent not by the agency of man. Then he goes, Paul, the least of apostles. Then he goes, Paul, the worst of all sinners. Because he's journeying onward again and again deeper into the reality of I was nothing without the grace of God. And when you know that, you can't just stand on that self-righteous conviction. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you've been broken, I've heard it said before, don't trust anybody that doesn't walk with a limp. Because there's something about that limp of when you have been broken, not by the will of man, but by the hand of God who's touched you and confronted you and exposed you to your own pharisaical nature on the inside. You're like, I can't ever walk the same anymore. I can't speak. I can't even offer conviction from the same place anymore. Right, so I just want to say um, emphatically, I believe that the deconstruction movement is a false paradigm shift. It's ideas about the church, authority, leadership. And it's basically saying, exchange these ideas for different ideas. And it's going from pain to confusion to pain and confusion. So judge a tree by its fruit. What Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to deconstruct something so that it will produce humility and that through humility there will come intimacy and through intimacy there will be righteousness and purity and conviction, but it will be lived out in a way. And I love this. This is, this is I think, the goal that God does with all of us. This is Henry Nouwen's words, talking 20, 30 years about, about modern Christian leadership. And he, and he, and he, and he says that the, the Christian leaders to come, says when we're securely rooted in personal intimacy, with the source of life, it will be possible to remain flexible without being relativistic, convinced without being rigid, willing to confront without being offensive, gentle and forgiving without being soft, and true witnesses without being manipulative. What Henry Nouwen is speaking to is that, and this is, I've come to believe this through the last probably I don't know, I just, I just believe that it's only those that have a broken and contrite spirit that can contain the tension of paradox within them at the same time. Like you actually have to go through a measure of brokenness so that you can, st- you can be convinced, but you're not rigid. You, you can confront, but you're not offensive. You can be open and influenceable, but you're not gonna be tossed here and fro by every, every new thing that people say. And, and, and what that is all speaking to, what Henry is speaking to, is this is someone who is in connection with Jesus. Right? Jesus doesn't want to dull our edge. He just wants us to get connected to him, and everything he is is love. This is the deal. With the burning issues of our day, homosexuality, you know, gender, all of this, the church needs to embody what Jesus was like, which he was known as what? A holy man. Peter, when he first met him, said, get away from me. You're, I'm a sinful man. Everyone knew who Jesus was. He was a holy rabbi. And yet, who loves to be with Jesus? Sinners. You can be convinced without being rigid and judgmental. You can stand for conviction, but you can still emanate love. 
You can be influenceable and you can actually have the capacity to hear and listen people that believe different things that you, maybe things that you don't agree with, but you won't, you're not, you're, you're not you're, because of love, you're not afraid. Culture needs Christians that are not afraid. We need Christians with a mental map that looks like Jesus' mental map. And this is why Jesus has to confront all the places that have been corroded by fear, all of the self-righteousness, all of the, the recovering Pharisee. It has to be rooted out so that we can actually stand and just love without fear. And not a love that's going to be a love that transforms, a love that, that emanates resurrection power. But I look at so much of the church and I'm like, that is not the mental map of Jesus. That is the black and white polarities that we see out there in the world. Jesus was, is different. He's a different way and he is beautiful. And even the most scathing conviction of the Lord is beautiful when it is expressed and processed through his heart. I promise you, Jesus did not leave anyone with a a sense of disgust in his heart. A sense of how could they? The only people we see him leaving frustrated with were the self-righteous Pharisees. It was not the worst in the far out sinners. And I'm just, I'm just gonna, I wasn't even planning this. I'm just gonna say, I think Jesus' heart breaks for the way that the American church and the Western church by and large has engaged with a lot of the burning issues in our world today. I think the church is so offended and we have these formed places in our mental map that we don't even realize we bring so much prejudice to the table that we have no capacity to love and be conduits through resurrection power to come. We need paradigm shifts. We need paradigm shifts. And again, I'm not saying lose conviction. Some of you are gonna hear that no matter how often I say it. I'm not saying get rid of your conviction. Don't lose the biblical authority. No, we live by the word of God, not bread alone. Every word that comes from the book, don't lose your conviction. We have to lose the judgment. We have to lose the fear. We have to actually become formed to think and perceive like Jesus. He wasn't overwhelmed by any person he ever met because he thought like God thought, yeah? You guys are so quiet now. I love you. Truth is held in tension. We must be capable of containing tension ourselves, and that takes place through the humbling and the breaking of when God comes after our mental maps. Woo! And the last thing I'm gonna say on Paul is that there is an element of spiritual warfare when it comes to repentance. The, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2, 4-4, the God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelieving. Satan is working to blind us. There's a reason Paul is so blind. There's a reason that people can't see what's right in front of them. It's not flesh and blood. There's a spiritual reality to it. And in our own lives, we have to pray and confront the spirit of pride and the spirit of anything that would blind us, and we gotta confront it in the lives of those around us, yeah? Oh my gosh, it's 6 4 how much time do I have realistically? Like, is 10 minutes okay? I just, this is always the tension point. I'm just gonna go and I just, I, if you'll honor this word, I just wanna get this word into you and then, and then, and then we'll release. All right, so I wanna look at Peter. We switched from Paul to Peter. Peter is an uneducated fisherman turned apostle. He's born again and he's spirit-filled. Right, and we're actually going to get a little bit more insight into, I think, some of the inner dynamics of paradigm shifts. And I like this because paradigm shift starts at conversion, say conversion, but it continues throughout our lives. Because Peter, this is not his first paradigm shift, yeah? 
Like, he had a paradigm shift. He, he was the one that told Jesus, don't go where? Don't go to the cross. He had this whole paradigm of the Messiah that was, like, completely false. So Peter has now been discipled by Jesus long enough. He's learning this whole repentance thing. So we find Peter in Acts 10, and what is he doing? He's praying. He's hungry, but he's praying. Good thing to do when you're hungry, huh? Anybody just fell in a trance? You just start thinking of a cheeseburger. You're just like, like Lord, is this a revelation? Speak to me, Jesus. Bacon? Cheese? You know? Brioche bun? I'm, uh, all right, so, so Peter's hungry. He gets a revelation, right, because he's praying. And as he's praying, he enters into a dialogue, right? He knows the voice of the Spirit, but the voice of the Spirit starts confronting him. And he tells him to do something that Peter was like, you would never tell me to do this. Right? And you can see that Peter has prejudice. You know what prejudice is? Pre-judgment. Pre-judgment. That's what a prejudice is. Peter has a pre-judgment about what the laws of the Old Testament meant. And much of Israel missed the fact that the purpose God chose them for and gave them favor of all the nations was not to be exclusive to the other nations, but so that the blessings of Israel would overflow into the nations and that all the nations would benefit. Yes? So Israel missed this. Israel got pretty like elitist with their understanding. And in this, they have these prejudices built in about who they were and who the Gentile nations were. And so God comes and he confronts Peter's prejudgment. And we know that he had a prejudgment because he's like, no, no way, Lord. You ever had that moment? God will never violate his word, but he will violate your understanding of it. His word is perfect. Your interpretation of it isn't. That is a good word. That will help you. I learned that through some really painful moments. So if you could just learn that right now in this room, I would be so, so, so happy. Right? So Peter goes through this repentance. He, he is, uh, it's kind of a processed repentance, but I love it. He's praying, then it says he's perplexed, and he starts reflecting. Say reflecting. So you're you're getting insight into Peter's inner world because he's been through this rodeo before. Well, Jesus is always doing this, always messing with my mind. He's always turning things up, down, down, saying things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. Saying these things like the Messiah has to go to the cross. So Peter has learned now, all right, when God confronts me, what do I do? Do I get offended? No, I yield to it and I start reflecting. So he's reflecting in his reflection. The spirit speaks to him. He goes, as he goes, he gets there and he says, you know, I recognize that God's told me not to call anything clean. He's got a partial revelation. Then he walks through the door. He sees the hunger. He starts to preach. The Holy Spirit falls and he's like, whoa, I get it. The Gentiles are in too. Profound paradigm shift. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this paradigm shift. Right, but but here, here's the point I want to make, is that God is confronting Peter's prejudice. Peter's prejudice had to be challenged, and when our prejudices get challenged, it's often painful. Say painful. It's painful. It's exposing. You're like, I don't know what to do with this. Everything I thought that I believed, all of a sudden it feels like everything's getting taken from me, and it's like change. Anybody here love change? Few of you will raise your hand because that's, that's how it goes culturally. Some people love change, but like most of people don't like change. I'm a leader that creates change. And I've just learned I'm going to get a bunch of upset people at me for the next three months. And then they're going to love me when it actually comes about. They're going, thank you. 
Like last fall, when I was like, we're going to worship. Everyone's like, oh my, this, this is long. What are you doing? Ah, now everyone's like, I love it, Jordan. The glory, right? I've just learned. I've learned. I'm being facetious, but maybe I'm kind of taking up my bone to pick with all of you too. And I'm, I'm totally teasing. I'm totally teasing. All right. So prejudice, <laughs> prejudice works subconsciously. Say subconsciously. And it works in a way that it causes us to to accentuate the things that we believe and to actually kind of turn a blind eye to the things that challenge what our prejudice is. Right? There's, a, there's, a, there's a guy named Jonathan Heigl. He wrote a book called The Righteous Mind. He's a secular psychologist, but I think it has really good insight. He's a professor at some, um, uh, I think, New York University or something. But he essentially started doing studies to figure out why does politics and, re- and, and religion bring so much division between people. And his findings, this is, this, is what, this, is, this is the description, is that our conscious mind would be like me, and our subconscious mind would be an elephant. Say elephant. So i got to get up here. So imagine I'm riding this big elephant, right? And I have this big elephant underneath me. And the way that our subconscious minds works is that our, 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 our mental map, much of our mental map is in the elephant. Say hi. Big old, big old purple jolly elephant, all right? So I'm riding this elephant. For my prejudices, my beliefs, my formation of my life, my childhood, everything, my spirituality, my encounters, it gets kind of bottled and the automatic core beliefs are in this elephant. And what happens is that when I'm consciously confronted with things, my elephant is already leaning in a certain direction. Can I demonstrate to it right now? All right, so if I told you guys that somebody asked me, I'm, I was considering, someone came to me and said, hey, pastor, if you tattoo 666 on your leg, I'll give you $100,000. Is that okay? No, why? Why? Well, it's the number of the beast. It was, you know, but that's, that's symbolic, you know. Like, why is it, like, what's, what's immoral about it? Okay, the point being, you'd probably have to think about it for a while, right? I, I'm, I, I don't think it's a good thing to do. But what I'm trying to say is that your elephant was already leaning, no, that's bad. And then your mind was just trying to give me a reason why your lean was right. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, like this, is how, this is how we work. Our mental maps are the elephant, and it's powerful. So we'll hear something, and we're like, that's wrong. And then our mind's like, let me figure out why it's wrong. It's wrong because of this. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You, we've all been there. You're like, well, I don't even know if that's true. But it feels true. <laughs> that would be demonic. Don't put that on your leg. Right, right. It says in the book of Revelation. Right? We're like, I don't exactly understand why. Right? It's like, that's like a cultural taboo. But we don't need to know. Right? So that, that's, do you see the, the rider and the elephant? Right? So Peter's got an elephant. He's got this prejudice about the Gentiles and about the food laws. And God says, eat these things. Don't call unclean what I call clean. And Peter's like, no way. Well, I've never done that. Right? His elephant's like. <laughs> He's arguing with God. Who's argued with God before? But watch, see the humility of Peter, right? He's gone through this Paul experience, like, a lot. So then instead of, like, just trying to, like, justify himself, what do we find him doing? Reflecting. He's praying. He's saying, why am I being challenged right now? Right? And we see that this leads him where? Paradigm shift. It's getting crazy in here, huh? All right. 
I, I, I just I want to close with this. I want to make it. I kind of want to land this really practically. I wish that I had a little bit more time, but I'm just going to give, like, why does this matter, right? When, like, I'll give you some of my own examples. When I was first confronted, and I will use the word confrontation with the idea of divine healing, it was a really bad experience. Uh, I, it was like what I would probably describe as a hyper charismatic young zealous people that really wounded me. Who's had that experience in here? Yeah, I was really wounded actually by like charismatic signs and wonders type stuff. And so then for the years following that wounding experience, which way did I lean? Every time I would hear someone or I would see something, it was like this knee jerk. I would lean away from it. And the way I would justify it is I would criticize those people. Those people are zealous. Those people are, un, they're not biblically grounded. There was one person in particular who honestly is a really godly young man who's now in ministry doing amazing things. I relentlessly criticized him because he challenged my mental map. And I hadn't yet like been broken. I was, I was still full of like pride, right? I had, a, I had a paradigm shifting conversation one day. It was with a guy who happened to be charismatic. We got into this long conversation. He heard my pain, my frustrations. As he listened to me, I felt my defenses coming down. And he just said, I validate all of that pain. Those were hard experiences. And he said, can I just ask you a question? I said, yeah. He said, are you letting the Bible form what you believe? Or are you letting that experience? And I said, I don't know. He said, well, why don't you just read the gospels and see what, what it has to say about healing and divine healing. And I was like, that sounds like a good idea. But that conversation probably brought healing to me. I went to the Bible, I read through the Bible and I was literally speechless. I had to like get my tongue off the pages. I'm like, how have I never seen this? It's like healing everywhere. And I had to realize I have to change the way that I think. And because the way I've changed that I think, it's changed my behaviors, it's changed my belief system, yeah? Right, I, I share that as one little story of I think what I watch happen in the church all the time. I'm just gonna give you a handful of things. These are prejudices that I've experienced either myself or through conversations with people um, in my years pastoring. Jesus, give us, give us, give us, give us, uh, give us, give us focus. All right, I heard a guy one time who he was raised Pentecostal. He said, I always thought psychology and counseling were from the devil. He said, but now I've made friends with some people that are counselors and I'm having to change the way I think about that. I was like, yeah, that's, that's a prejudice. Right? I've heard people say, every time I go to receive the gift of tongues, I hear my dad's voice in my head and it shuts me down because my dad or my mom or my grandpa or my pastor or whoever it was, I've heard the story many times, told me it was demonic. Right? Again, I would just challenge to anybody that that's your story. That's a prejudice. That's not what the Bible says. And I know people create all types of complex the theological arguments around prejudices like that, but it's still a prejudice. You can't get to there biblically. I love you. I'm just trying to speak truth. Right? I've heard people say, I always thought rich people were selfish and greedy, and now I'm friends with a few. And they're really godly. This is real. Prophetic people are dot, dot, dot. Intellectual people are dot, dot, dot. Liberals are demonic. Right-wing conservatives are Christian nationalists. Charismatics are biblically ungrounded. Conservative Christians are religious. LGBTQ dot, dot, dot. 
gender identity, dot, dot. I, I hear the prejudices all the time. Right? And some of our, our prejudices are, toward, are against something. Some of them are toward something. They're toward messages that sound like the American dream. They're towards prophetic words that sound a lot like political party agendas. Right? We have things that lean towards places. We have things that like revolt against. That elephant is at work. And what I'm advocating for tonight is not that we're going to unpack all of these things because, again, I don't want to give you my ideas and my thoughts to exchange with your ideas and your thoughts so that we can just build our self-justifying around that what I now believe is right. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. It's about being in a deep, intimate, rooted relationship with the living one who has the ability. He, he has the perfect mental map, and we need Jesus. I feel like this is a word that's actually a prophetic foundation for what we're about to step into in 2024 because the furnace is going to get turned up and prejudices are going to start thrown around and it's going to be a political storm and it has the potential to divide us. But here's the deal. If we will yield to Jesus and let Jesus form us and be like Peter, you're going to find me in prayer. You're going to find me processing and reflecting. And I'm going to let you form me into your thoughts, your will, your mind, your perspectives. And I'm going to judge the fruit of my behavior by is the way I'm showing up revealing the fragrance of Christ and the beauty of his third way that calls people out of darkness into the marvelous light. I'm going to actually hold myself and say, Lord, if I don't see the fruit of your life flowing through me, I must be believing something that looks more like culture and not like the king. Kingdom. I figure we might just turn well the heat up in here. We're not waiting for the heat to get turned up there. Because I want us to be formed, courageous, theologically minded believers that have the courage to step into polarities with a confidence that God's going to bring healing love and a message of conviction to a world that's dying and needs true hope which is the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to close in prayer in this, this way, and then uh, maybe we can just have someone come up and, and play the piano. I'm just going to create space for the Holy Spirit. Um, but there's two things. One, I'm just going to pray. Um, uh, when, when, I, when I go into the benediction, I'm actually going to pray a prayer of like um, spiritual warfare. I'm just going to ask that the Holy Spirit would bind, bind anything of blinding influences. It says that um, the weapons of our warfare are to tear down lofty strongholds and reasonable arguments that the enemy tries to sow into us so that he can form us to think like him instead of being like Jesus. And I'm just gonna pray a warfare prayer that the Holy Spirit would bring breakthrough to our lives because we need him. Like Jesus came to Paul and Peter. All right, so I'm gonna pray that and then I just wanna give it an encouragement and a call to contemplative prayer. I think this is a practice that is counter-formation to the formation of the world. Here's what I want to tell you not to do. What the world says is get your idea and put it on social media. Blast it out loud. I think what Jesus is calling us to is to actually withdraw like Peter and become reflective processors that learn to contemplate and let the Holy Spirit, who is the convictor of heaven, form and shape our thoughts and our minds. So I want to give an emphatic call to be a people of contemplative prayer that are theologically reflecting on the things that are going on in our world. Like we need to be a people of conviction, but it needs to be the conviction that comes from the heart of Jesus and not from our own, our own flesh. So I'm going to invite you all to stand. I have a sense that some of you, uh, the conviction of the Spirit may already be ministering to you tonight. 
Um, that, that some of the things I spoke about are, are like they hit you square between the eyes. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to do a courageous thing, which is to come forward, which is simply a, an act of faith that acknowledges before God, I'm coming into repentance. I'm actually partnering with you. I'm not going to resist. I'm not going to kick against the goads, but I'm actually going to yield into the confrontation that you are inviting me. It's like an exposing of your mental map to God. If that's you, and if you just want to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come forward. And Lord, I just ask right now, in the name of Jesus, God, I stand in the authority of the shed blood of the crucified and resurrected Jesus. God, and I take authority over every, every demonic stronghold, Lord, every blinding influence. Lord, that the father of lies has relentlessly worked to sow into our mental maps, Lord. Lord, that you will that you will bring a sense of breakthrough. Lord, I plead the blood over every area, God, that may be a stronghold in our lives, a stronghold of prejudice or judgment or pain or fear or whatever it is. I ask, Holy Spirit, that by your grace, just as you came to Peter and you came to Paul and you went right to the root and you uprooted it, I ask that you will break through any stronghold tonight and that you will loosen the soil and that you will begin to uproot that which has no place in the hearts and the minds of your people. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. We just say, Holy Spirit, have your way. I just, again, if you wanna come forward, don't miss this moment. It's, a, it's obedience, quick obedience. If you're prompted by the Holy Spirit, just obey and open, open. And it's just a cry that says, Lord, I want you to disciple me. I want you to uproot whatever this prejudice, if there was a tinge inside of you, if there's something that's disturbing inside of you, I just wanna encourage you to yield, to come before the Lord and let him have his way. Jesus, we thank you. I thank you for your people. And I pray a blessing upon this house, Lord, that you are preparing us to be active participants in a culture gone awry, but we are the light of the world. So just fill us with light and send us. I pray, God, make us a people of contemplative prayer, form and fashion us and shape in us by the conviction of Holy Spirit we ask tonight in Jesus' mighty name. If you want to receive prayer, I'm just going to ask, maybe we put the lights down. We're just going to linger. We do this often because I think beautiful things take place in lingering. If you've come forward, maybe just take a few steps more forward because I think people will probably be coming behind you. And we're here to minister, bless, and serve what the Holy Spirit is doing. So I just bless you that as you go, go in peace. But if we could just dim the lights um, real low because I just want to protect this space that... This is a reverent, holy space for those that are receiving ministry in this moment. And so I just would ask that you would leave quietly. You can, you can socialize in, the, in, the, in the, the, the foyer, but let's just make this a space for Jesus. And I, just, I do feel the Lord really tugging on hearts. Um, and if that's you, just, just come. Come to the water. Some of you, I almost have a sense that it's, there's a sense of embarrassment. I don't want to come forward because I don't know what people will think of me. And I just say there's no fear, there's no condemnation. If that's you, just come. Just come. Come and let Jesus meet you this, this evening.
You know, if you don't know Jesus, that's the greatest paradigm shift you'll ever make. And I just have a sense that maybe there's some in here you've never met Jesus. And even if people are leaving, it's okay. I just want you to come forward. I just want to give it like Jesus shed his blood to save you. I just feel like this is for someone in here that Jesus, Jesus wants to liberate you, set you free. And if you want to know Jesus and you're like, I'm like Paul, I don't know him. I want you to just come forward and just let one of us pray with you. And yeah, we're here to serve you. So bless you, church.